following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Oh, thanks, Jenna, for uh, leading us in that prayer. And uh, thanks, Dave, for making some music for us. And thanks to all of you who have continued to make these Zoom, Facebook services work for us during this season. Um, before I get into uh, what I want to share with you this morning, um, a couple quick things. I wanted to say thanks to those of you who participated in our Cider Days food drive yesterday. Um, one of the saddest things about this uh, COVID-19 quarantine era is that we had to cancel our happiest day of the year, our Fall Cider Days Festival, but we made the best of it by getting together um, a few people at a time uh, outdoors uh, to drop off food to support St. Peter's Kitchen. And uh, we have many boxes of food that will be going over there this week, and we're so thankful to those of you who were able to participate in that way. Second thing is, um, I want to tell you that uh, if you have not yet uh, watched the video or read the transcript of the video that I made a little over a week ago with some thoughts on the possibility of a partial phased reopening, I would encourage you to do that. And uh, while you are um, there at that page, you can, um, here, I'm going to put the link into the Zoom chat. So don't, don't go watch it right now. I'm gonna, I've got other things to say. Um, but uh, if you haven't done that yet, I encourage you to do that. Um, several dozen of you have completed the survey that is linked on that page, sharing uh, your thoughts um, with the church and with our leadership about um, the possibility of returning to an in-person experience with certain limitations. And um, it's very soon going to be time to start processing the responses to that survey, which is a seriously big task itself. And so we are going to be forming a, a little bit of a task force, if you will, uh, to process that information. And uh, it will include some staff and leadership team members, but we would like to get as broad a representation of the artisan community as possible um, because there's, there are many decisions that will need to be made um, if we decide to go forward with any sort of reopening. And that's not a foregone conclusion, by the way. So um, if you think that you have um, the, the emotional capacity right now to, to uh, speak into that process and to those potential decisions... I'd like to hear from you, and so you can sort of apply to be on that team. I, I know that there are many people who have expressed that interest. That's why I say the word apply to be on that team. Um, we're going to try to have as representative a group as possible to be processing that information. So please send me an email. It's scott at artisanchurch.com, and uh, I will share that with the folks who are putting that team together, and we would love to have your feedback on those, those things. Uh, and then lastly, before I get uh, get going with my uh, my sermon, um, such as it is today, uh, I want to remind you that we will be taking communion together virtually following that time. And so if you have something nearby um, already, that's great. If you need to step away to go get something, you can. We're being very lenient with the uh, the requirements about the elements here Um it's a, it's a wonderful and confusing blend of very, very high sacramental theology and very low whatever-you-got-nearby theology. 
Um, so you can get some bread and wine or juice and uh, or something as close to that as you can get, and we'll we'll do a virtual communion for that later. It is World Communion Day today, I am told. So um, maybe more people than usual will be trying this today. Ah, so when I was a kid. I uh, developed a technique for dealing with um, my anger. So you know how when you're, um, certainly not true for any adults, right? But when you're a child, sometimes the anger just bubbles up in you and you, you don't know how to, to, to deal with it. So um, I figured out this technique uh, that I have since shared with other people, which is to scream into a pillow. <laughs> I'm not kidding. This actually works really well. If you are very, very upset or angry and you feel like you need to let it out, but you can't because of, you know, decorum or because you don't want to hurt the hearing and the ears of the people around you, you can actually take a pillow and put it right up against your face and scream into the pillow and it will contain your scream. (laughs) Not 100% contain it, but it will definitely make it uh, a more pleasant scream for those around you without reducing the um, therapeutic benefits <laughs> of screaming when you are really upset or angry. Um, later in life, I was at a conference as an adult, and there was a, um, a speaker at this conference who led a kind of quasi-monastic community in Seattle. And she talked about a a prayer technique that she had developed for the people in this community that involved smashing plates. And I um, decided to try that the next time I felt very, very upset and angry. Um, you You have to be a little bit intentional about when and where and how you do this activity because, of course, you don't want to hurt anybody. But if you can find a contained area, such as she had built into her monastic community, where you can take a plate that you don't need anymore and really just destroy it, um, that's actually also a, a pretty um, effective way of getting some of that um, feeling out. These are activities that allowed me as a child and then later as an adult to express my anger f- quite fully without having to restrain it too much. Um, so with that in mind, I want to transition to today's uh, biblical text and um it's uh, one that I think is going to be potentially very challenging for some of us. If you've never read this text before um, or heard it read, it may cause you some distress. And um, that's, that's actually intentional. So uh, I just want to give you a little bit of a content warning ahead of time that that may be your experience with this. And I'm going to give you a chance after I read the text to tell me um, in the chat uh, how it makes you feel. So be aware of how how this, this biblical text makes you feel. This is Psalm 137. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? 
If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you. If I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator, happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. So, tell me in the chat, how does that psalm make you feel? And um, I'll read it out, and if you prefer to say it anonymously, you can send it to me directly uh, as a direct message, and I won't mention your name. Um, Melody says, that makes me feel confused. Okay, thank you. Avila says, sad. Sad and vengeful. Ah, reassured. Interesting. Thank you, Craig. Relatable, says Doug. <laughs> Brain match melody from Kristen. So on the, you, you two are on the same wavelength. About feeling confused. Disturbed. Yes, I see some heads nodding at disturbed. Yep. By the way, if you're worshiping with us on Facebook, you can be responding in the chat too. There's sometimes a little sub-community of chat text that happens on Facebook, and that's okay. I just don't have access to it to, to call it out into the into the rest of the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, understood. You feel understood. Interesting. Yeah. So I got a private message that said, conflicted. On one hand, I don't like the idea of violence against children. On the other hand, I understand the anger against injustice felt in this passage. Yeah, thank you for that. And uh, thanks to all of you for sharing your response to that psalm. You can continue to have that conversation if you'd like. Um, I'm going to turn my attention away from the chat now, but feel free to keep, keep talking with each other as I'm talking with all of you. Um, today's sermon is part one of what will be a two-part sermon about the emotions of exile. So today is part one. Part two of this will be actually in two weeks. I'm going to go back to Exodus in between. Um, so we're thinking during this season about the, the, the seasons that the Israelites went through of exile and of Exodus and how those might be instructive for us or helpful to us in our own season of feeling very uprooted and um, disoriented and all the things that we're feeling right now. And so let's talk about the context for Psalm 137. You've, some of you have already picked up on the fact that this psalm was written at the very beginning of the exile. So what had just happened when the psalmist was writing this or when the psalmist, what was the psalmist imagining having just happened when they wrote this psalm? Well, the Babylonians had come through and conquered what was left of Israel. Right, there had already been one partial conquest. And in this case, they not only conquered the remaining people, but they, they destroyed the temple. So that talk about, you know, um, 
tear it down to its foundations. It's talking about the the holiest location in the entire um, Israelite world and imagination. Having the temple destroyed, the people had been carried out um, into exile, taken out of their their homeland, their the only place they knew, um, and banished basically from from that place. And then you can probably fill in some of the some of the most distressing details of that by knowing that this was this was war in the eighth century BC or sixth century, excuse me. Um, so all of the um, plundering and pillaging and everything that goes along with that had just happened to these people. And so I wonder, I wonder, does that change how you feel about the psalm at all? If you didn't know that context before, you don't have to answer that one in the chat unless you want to. But that last line of Psalm 137, which I actually think is is one of the most difficult and disturbing sentences in the entire Bible. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. Becomes perhaps a little bit more understandable if you think about the fact that this very thing had probably just happened to some of the little ones of Israel. Now, you might say, well, wishing death and pain upon your enemies is not very Christ-like. And you would be right. Of course it's not Christ-like. But what I think is really important to know is that it is extremely human. And that actually it is also biblical. Right Now, you know, if you've heard me talk about the Bible for very long, that uh, I love many things about the Bible, but I do not like when people use the word biblical as an adjective. I think that that is more often than not, um, well, lazy or um, manipulative at, you know, at its worst. But it is biblical in the sense that we find this actual thing in the Bible, wishing death and pain upon your enemies. So what we have to, of course, realize is that not everything in the Bible is Christ-like. But there's a whole category of psalms of this type. They are called imprecatory psalms, right? Um, So if you've never seen that word, I'll put it in the chat. Um, Imprecatory. Um, This is a spoken curse, right? There's probably not a a clearer way to say it. It's It's a curse, The word literally means to invoke evil. And so, if it's not Christ-like, what purpose does this type of psalm serve? Well, I think one thing that's helpful to think about is that the psalms are the basis for prayer. I have talked about this already. In fact, I'm pretty sure I kicked off the exile exodus thing with some of uh, some uh, some observations about this. The idea that the Psalms are the basis for our prayer means that we have words in Scripture which we can use to give voice to the deepest human emotions that we have. 
And at a time like this, when we are maybe feeling more emotions or feeling our emotions more deeply or feeling different emotions than we are accustomed to feeling, it's very helpful to have a vocabulary at our disposal as people of God uh, that can be used as the basis for our prayer. And this is something that maybe maybe some of us are not very experienced at. I was going to say that we're not good at, but that's the wrong word because I think it's maybe that we haven't even given this kind of thing a chance. But what I want to say to you is that prayer can be a container for our anger and our rage and even for our hatred. That's why I started our service by trying to assure you that God is able to contain all of the range of feelings that you are having today, that you've been having this week, that you've been having this month, that you've been having this year. Prayer can be a container for all of these feelings, including anger, including our hatred. Prayer can be like a pillow for our souls to scream into. And I think we don't do ourselves any any good service when we when we censor ourselves in prayer. When we say, oh, I couldn't possibly say that to God. Saying, I feel X, Y, and Z, but I'm not going to include that in my prayer because really I'm worried about lightning bolts, right? Because many of us still believe that that the triune God uh, best revealed to us in 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 Jesus Christ is actually Zeus. Um, Miroslav Volf said it this way, and I've made a slide for this quotation so that you can see it. Uh, he's, he's kind of riffing on how to think about the imprecatory Psalms. How to reconcile imprecatory Psalms and forgiveness? He says, such Psalms are prayers. We bring to God our rage at the evil done our impulse to destroy the evildoer and leave it before God. And for Christians, that means we put them under the cross of Christ who forgave his executioners. Now, I've, again, I've hinted at this fairly recently, but I think it bears repeating. It is probably not possible for us to skip the first part of what Wolf is describing there in our effort to rush to the second part, which is to say, we all know that we're supposed to forgive our enemies, that we are supposed to um, have the same mind in us that was in Christ Jesus, right? We all know that's the Christian calling. And we find ourselves unable to do it. I think sometimes the reason that we find ourselves unable to do it is because we do not participate in that first step of what he's describing. We do not allow ourselves to pray the imprecatory psalms. What does it look like? To make a prayer that says, I wish pain on someone. I wish the worst type of pain on my enemies. Well, A lot of times we don't want to even allow the possibility to enter our mind. 
So this is a very emotional time, this time of quasi-exile that we are living in. Certainly it's not exactly like what the Israelites experienced, but it is a version of it. We are feeling sadness, we are feeling fear, we're fearing, feeling grief and worry and despair. And yes, there's, there's some good sprinkled in there as well. I know that sometimes you're experiencing joy and happiness and hopefulness. I certainly want to affirm that and encourage that, but I don't want to, I don't want us to lie to each other and, and, and not admit that we're feeling all these other negative emotions. And it's possible that for some time now, uh, maybe especially over the last several days, you've been experiencing a lot of anger and even rage. By the way, uh, this may be especially true for men, given how culture conditions us, but I would encourage you to watch out for the possibility that what you are actually feeling is uh, sadness or grief or fear, and that you're expressing them as anger because you consider those other emotions to be weaker. But that's a whole separate sermon. What I want to observe is that we in the Christian church are often so preoccupied with being Christ-like that we prohibit ourselves from being human. Or we try to anyway, but the problem is that that doesn't actually work. And so we will never make our way to being Christ-like because we have not allowed ourselves to be fully human. So we never find a container for our rage at injustice We never find that pillow for our souls to scream into because we don't think we're allowed to. Which means we never get a chance to to leave it before God, as Wolf said. Which means that we can never move toward a Christ-like posture, toward injustice. And so I think our tendency, probably very often, is to avoid the imprecatory psalms. To say, I cannot deal with that right now. That's just going to trigger me. That's just going to send me off into worse feelings than I'm already experiencing. But I want to suggest to you that praying those imprecatory psalms is the way to move through that process and to move past that feeling. And that it's actually, it's not just something to make you feel better, although it, it might very well have that effect, but that it's a necessary part of getting to the place where we can actually be part of changing the world into the world that God dreams for us to have. I would propose that it's difficult or possibly impossible, maybe impossible to to get to that place if we skip that important step. And so I'll leave you with a quotation from St. Augustine who said, Hope has two lovely daughters, anger and courage. Anger to see what things are and courage to change what they are. So I do not usually give you homework on Sundays, especially lately. You know, it's it's a tough time. We're all trying to have Zoom meetings on, on on for work. We're all trying to, if we have kids, get them doing their school on Zoom. We're all trying to make it through from one day to the next. But if you will allow me to assign you a little bit of a homework assignment this week, here's what it is. 
I would like you to write your own imprecatory psalm. What would a psalm look like if you were to write it without censoring yourself? Without dismissing the worst feelings that you have as unholy or uh, inappropriate? Would you write that psalm? And then once it's written down, would you actually make it a prayer? It's a difficult homework assignment. This is not an easy one. If you can't do it, remember that a lot of them have already written, been written down for you. That's, that's kind of the point of what I've been saying about the Psalms is that when you can't give voice to your own feelings, you can use the words that already gave voice to those same feelings when someone else had them. So you could read Psalm 137 as a prayer. If you did a simple Google search for imprecatory Psalms, I already wrote the word in the chat so you can just copy and paste it. <laughs> You'd find a number of other examples. Perhaps that would be easier than writing your own. But I do encourage you in one or the other of those forms, this week to allow yourself to inhabit the deepest, ugliest emotions that you are experiencing. To scream into that pillow, spiritually speaking. Because I think that's how you find yourself coming into contact with that other that other daughter, courage. Bless you. (laughs) Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.